welcome once again to the Global Gale podcast. I'm getting given out to here in the background by Molly Breen going here. This podcast is supposed to be out on Wednesday. Get it out there, she says. And here I am on Friday throwing it together for you. My name is Philip O'Connor, boys and girls. You're all very welcome back to the podcast for the 70 million Irish people around the world. I hope you are very well. Thanks very much for the brilliant response uh, to last week's podcast with Gar Moss there from Dublin, who is the coach of the Albanian men's rugby team, no less. He coached them in their first uh, test match or international match against Kosovo. And it's gas when you talk about these, not niche subjects. Jesus, rugby isn't exactly a niche subject at all. But uh, you tend to sort of reach different people in different ways at different times and that, you know. And uh, so the rugby community came out in force. And of course, our good friend Ant Morrissey, who works with us uh, on the podcast here as well. Ant was very involved in Munster Rugby and is still a huge fan of the game. So uh, we had loads of listeners coming in for that and, and hearing Gareth's story. And it was great to have the lovely positive sp- feedback for uh, an Irish person making great waves in sporting achievement abroad. So uh, And we'll try and keep up with them as well because uh, Gar was in touch himself afterwards and said, look, there's loads more going on. So we'll try to keep up with his career. Andy Farrell, if you're listening out there, Andy, you're safe for the time being, right? He's not after your job yet, but he's coming for you. As I said, this is the podcast for the 70 million Irish people around the world. If you want to support it, go to patreon.com forward slash man in Stockholm. If you can throw in a fiver a month there, it helps to keep me paid and Molly paid and keeps the lights on and the microphones on here in the studio. And it'll help us, uh, actually help us to reach out to you because we're hoping this year to do some live shows in London and a few other places as well. But to do all that, we need to be able to invest a few bobs. So the support uh, comes in very, very handy indeed. And if, of course, you want to sponsor the podcast, just get in touch. Philip at ablana.se will get me and you know if you have inherited a whole load of money from your maiden aunt we'll happily take some of that off you because this is public service podcasting it is a service for the Irish people around the world all 70 million of you listen I know I think it's Carrie Cook here in Stockholm gives out to me because I'm doing two podcasts in a row about sport but lads I couldn't help myself right uh, there's a very good and very old friend about not that he's very old but our friendship is very old right he, he is actually quite old but there you go uh, Mark O'Sullivan is a man that I've known for many many years he's one of my favourite people in the entire world and he's like one of those people he's like peeling an onion right every time you sit down with him your jaw does be on the floor with the wild stuff he comes out with um he appeared on the uh, Irish and Sweden podcast a couple of years back and told just some of the stories that I've had the privilege of hearing over the years from playing for Cork City uh, to winning Swedish Grammys for music that he made and, you know, having his music played in DJ sets by all these wild, huge uh, celebrity DJs and this kind of stuff. And then he just pivots away from stuff and he goes and he does things that are interesting to him, right? But obviously with his background in sport and football, um, it, it, that was one of the things he pivoted to. And Mark's current job is as a social Associate Professor of Football at the School of Sports Science in Oslo, Norway, right? Now, I had to really sort of uh, make sure that I got that that title right. It's very important. Uh, he has a doctorate from a university in Sheffield to do with these things, and he's just a fascinating character. And as I say, every time you have him on a podcast or you talk to him or you retweet him, you get like 20 different people going, yeah, but what about this? What about that? Oh, you know, should we have league tables for kids and should we be counting scores and all of that? And Mark loves it, and he loves being part of that debate, and he loves talking about his ideas around how we learn and especially how young people learn to play sport and learn to enjoy it, right? So I thought this is the perfect time of the year when kids are getting involved in new things. You know, uh, we ourselves maybe might want to get into training, going to the gym. Uh, My own daughter was talking to me last night about starting to run. She wants to run a 10-kilometre race here in Stockholm and that. So I thought, what better time to bring Mark Sullivan onto the podcast to talk about sport and the value of it and how we go about doing it because it's not one of those things that's benevolent either. Just because you do something doesn't mean you're doing the right thing, you know? And often, and I know this myself because I was terrible as a coach when I first started trying to help young people in football and martial arts and that kind of thing and shouting at young friends and young ones and it's all counterproductive. But thanks to listening to Mark and clever and intelligent people like him I kind of changed the way I do everything and lads I've seen the results it's unbelievable now how quickly people will develop if you just give them the circumstances in which to do so and that's nothing to do with me and it's nothing to do with Marco Sullivan from Cork despite his doctorate and everything else like that. an awful lot of us to do with just creating the environment and then just getting out of people's way so uh, yeah this is one of the podcasts I'm kind of most excited to bring you in the last little while because it's a fascinating discussion altogether uh, you will find Mark on Twitter and that again if I remember I shall put all those things in the show notes but uh, let's have a listen to what he has to say and a reminder as well that uh, these videos also go up on YouTube so it may not be me talking into my microphone but the interviews certainly go up on YouTube now 
uh, if that's your thing. So if you go and you search for Arrowman in Stockholm on YouTube, you'll find it there as well. But here, in your ears, on your favourite platform right now, Mark O'Sullivan from Cork, from the School of Sports Science in Oslo as well, and who lives here in Stockholm. And as, as I say, like peeling an onion, lads. Enjoy. Mark O'Sullivan. Welcome to the Global Gale podcast. Welcome to the studio. Great to have you here. Thank you, Phil. Yes. Great to be here. Uh, again. Again. This is a, we, we tend to talk on podcasts a lot. And the last time that many people will have heard us talking was probably during the Women's World Cup last year when all the various things that were going on around there. But can we just start with the work that you're doing at the moment at Idrætshøjskolen in Norway, right? Which is the School of Sports Science in Norway. Yeah. How does a fella from Cork go about becoming the associate professor of football over there, if you don't mind? <laughs> uh, well, I suppose like most people from Cork, adding value. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this is going to be one of those podcasts, isn't it? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I got offered, um, I know we spoke uh, during, it was around the time of the Women's World Cup, but a few months before that I was already offered um, a position at the Norwegian School of Sports Science. Mm. They wanted somebody to run all their coach education and uh, which is in many sports not just football even though I do the UEFA stuff there mm. in the school so it would be bachelors and masters as well and um, yeah so I was offered a job um, and I am now currently associate professor at the Norwegian School of Sports Science mm. working full time it's basically a lecturing role a uh, supervision role and a research role. That's all our roles there, Mac. I know, yeah, sure. Yeah. How did these guys come to discover you, right? Because your path, uh, like you've always been involved in academia. You went to university in, in Cork uh, long before you ever ended up in, in Sweden. Well, I, I would put that, went to university, inverted commas. You, a good time there. <laughs> but I got my degree. <laughs> Somehow. I was, I'm actually, I was only saying this to a colleague of mine who was like, you know, about about our students so they need to meet this deadline how it's gone i wouldn't have lasted a week here (laughs) (laughs) there were different times then different times so i I often feel guilty setting deadlines on work for students when i reflect on my um past are are you very sort of flexible that way if somebody comes to you and says uh, oh sorry chief i didn't manage to get that done in time you go yeah go on you're living your best life oh no i mean if you you like we had a long, I had a long discussion with my third year bachelor students um, because they're all going out and my second years are all going out doing professional practice now for the next few months mm. and we're discussing the uh, demands now on them because maybe 10, 15 years ago none of them would have been working they'd just be full-time students but now they're all working in clubs some of them are full-time employed some of them are half-time employed mm. so we have to find this, the balance you know, some of my students are preparing to take part in the Olympics in Paris. Mm. So we have to support things and we have to be flexible. It doesn't mean they can jump over stuff. Yeah. But we have to find ways to 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 help them complete the course. Mm. Um, we can't be, of course, biased to them. But we, we try to help them prepare and, and have possible solutions to any kind of constraints that come up. Mm. So that that's really how I work. It's very individual as well. Yeah. Well, I suppose we get into that because that's basically your view on coaching in general, right? But what is the course in itself? The one that you're responsible for there now? I mean, Associate Professor of Football is one thing, but practically, what does the course entail? Well, I'm responsible for all the football activities yeah. in, in there. So out of students that do their bachelor's for us will also get their UEFA B. Yeah. If they they just need to get a certain grade. Um, and then I would have master's students, so I would have be part of the master's program. But then I have I have various... Um, so first year coach education I would have second year coach education then I'd have skill acquisition in third year and now while they're this, my second and third years are out doing uh, work practice professional practice in cl- professional clubs or schools or organisations <coughs> I'm kind of I guess I don't know if you want to call it a mentor or some sort of support from a distance mm-hmm. we might meet once a month over the next three months discuss how it's going we'll be holding seminars where they will uh, ref- read some maybe every week we'll have seven eight seminars every week they'll read um, a, pa- a research paper that is relevant to what they're doing we will discuss this and reflect on it and 
that'll be all part of their um, final exam then uh, connecting the theoretical work to their experiential knowledge and empirical work that they're from being out in professional practice so I reckon at the moment I'm one two three there's about five courses mm. I'm very involved in at mm. the moment but it's uh, it's good you meet a lot of it's great like I was um, only thinking about it there over Christmas I, I met a we have a student who's uh, <coughs> represent who's represents Norway in skateboarding mm. He has no idea what a coach is, and he's on a coach. He's on a coach uh, education course. And it's really funny. He's never had a coach mm. until he got into the Olympic team, and now he's a coach. And he just thinks, "This wow, it's all, it's really interesting." And then I've biathlon. You know, as you know, we come from Ireland, that well known for its uh, huge sport, it's huge sport, yeah, skiing and cross country skiing, and so it's it's a fantastic opportunity for me to learn as well. I learn so much from them, you know, but having a theoretical underpinning of how humans learn in development is is really helps me with mm. interacting with these students and trying to help them evolve and develop their mm. pedagogy and how they work in their practice in their context in their culture why is this important why do you want to work with things like this mac uh, i <laughs> Just the way, it, just the way it rolled, I guess. I, I'm playing I, the hand I'm dealt. I've, right I've here. always been interested in um, some fo- like how we learn and creativity because I have a past in music and hmm. what when I was working a lot in music, I was like, how do we do this? How do we make music? How do you make these sounds? Hmm. How does a where does that work? come from? Yeah. yeah, where does it come from? You know, you listen to a record how did they do that mm-hmm. you know and i was always interested so it was about exploration and now the same with um with sport i got into back into a lot of sport in the early very early 2000 around 2001 or two or something and i was like how do we do this how do humans learn and how do we learn to play a sport and a lot of the stuff and the dominant worldview let's just say Mm. how it's been coached or the assumptions around it i was for some reason it just didn't sit right with me yeah and i guess yeah if it's if it sat right with me i wouldn't have never gone on this journey (laughs) that's grand grand. tip away um and it just didn't sit right with me so i just went on this mad journey and yeah like you know red pill blue pill it's like (laughs) oh god oh don't make this into one of those podcasts turning it into alice in wonderland (laughs) i literally went (laughs) down the rabbit hole hole. i I did and it's it's been nothing but amazing and i end up leaving i'm still in the rabbit hole of course but (coughs) now i've um i'm a i have a doctorate Mm. you know and this this fantastic journey has taken me Mm. to on a to a doctorate you know so it's 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 been great. It's been uh, the process, the whole journey has been fantastic. Mm. What was the orthodoxy that you sort of saw with people playing sport and you went, hang on a second, that may not necessarily be right? Yeah, um, the dominant worldview I felt has always been this me- mechanistic approach that we're looking at humans like they're machines, we're the sum of the parts. 10,000 hours, all this. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the, that, yeah you know reduce it's a reductionist thing let's reduce practice to hours yeah let's reduce practice to touches on the ball yeah touches on the ball let's reduce practice to you have to do a before you can do b before you can do c before you can and this mechanical view it's it's it works fine for buildings and cars and Mm. things that but we're complex systems we're about the relations of our parts and it never sat right with me you know i mean Mm. Like, just was, was that because you don't learn that way in inverted commas? Maybe, maybe not. I just, uh, I think actually, when I was getting into these, like questioning some of these ideas and being frustrated because I couldn't articulate myself, mm. I did two things. I started thinking about as a kid playing soccer and playing Gaelic football, and I also reached out to a lot of. Um, academics because I was down with RCD Espanol and the guy must have really got annoyed with me or something because <laughs> he said okay I was asking questions that you wait there and he comes back with a big ton of papers and they're all these research papers yeah and I kind of started 
and I re you know and then some of the names kept turning up yeah. so I reached out to these people and they were very accommodating and very supportive and mm. sent me some ideas and offered to discuss stuff in fact one of them became my PhD supervisor mm. and then the other one was reflecting over playing sport and learning sport and I remember some there was two things it was a reflection and something that happened to me in coach education that were really probably uh, probably like tipping point moments. Yeah. So I was reflecting over Gaelic football playing. So I went to boarding school for the last two years in Castle Martyr. Probably, probably a good thing actually for me at the time. <laughs> if university was <laughs> so on to go by. <laughs> <laughs> we were, so we were the only, we were the only, we had about 90 kids in the school. I mean, and we had a senior Gaelic football team and, we had only 15 people who played Gaelic football, yeah. literally. So the others just made up. And we had this coach, and it was, I think it was Hartnett. It was mm. Pat Hartnett, maybe, from Middleton. And he was phenomenal, how he worked with us. But everything was very, I guess you'd call it now, games-based yeah. or information-based. Yeah. We were always working on something. And remember, he says, Mark, come here. This is what he says, next time you're going up for a ball, as you're coming down, see if you can take a look at what's going on. Yeah. No no more information than that. Yeah. Just like game changer. Scan around, yeah. Lovely. Like yeah, but like not saying look left, look right. No. Just or this nonsense check your shoulder. Like that's you know, like that's yeah. what's that? It's like just see if you can take in where's the defender behind you? Maybe he's gone a bit to the right or yeah. you know. Oh, it was fantastic. So it was a game changer for me. It's just she's you know, I remember just thinking about that, like and it just opened up the game for me. Yeah. Simple little thing. He didn't he said what? but not how I should do it. Yeah. And then um, I was doing my UEFA B here in Sweden and we had some coach, goalkeeping coach educator came in and he was saying, okay, we're going to do, we're going to work with goalkeeping uh, distribution from the hand. And he says to me, he points at me randomly. Hey, have you played in goal? I said, never. Hmm. He goes, okay, you, you're the guinea pig. It's grand. So we go down to the, the hall there in Boson and uh, he says, right, can you kick from your hand there? He says, yeah, sure. Bam. And he's, he's looking at me going, have you, you ever played in goal? No, never. So I'm switching feet and everything. <laughs> left foot. And then they're doing half volleys and then you know, basically showboating. <laughs> I, I've seen you do this. And it's like, it's like, and I'm like, the guy's coming like, ah, come on. This is like, no, no, I've never, ever played in goal. Yeah, but, I, but he asked the wrong question, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I, I said, well, actually, I've played Gaelic football. What's that? And he's like, so he's explaining. And I said... <laughs> it's literally only kicking the ball. <laughs> and I said, yeah. you know, this is about 250 kids under the age of 15 can do this way better than me. <laughs> and I actually find it strange because nobody's trying to tackle me when I'm kicking it. So it's a bit weird as well, you know? <laughs> it's, easy, yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit strange, you know? So yeah. And that, for me, then, was a big moment as well. And then he said, but who taught you this technique? And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you if you can't do it you get killed it's like <laughs> exactly. we, 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 we played this in school and you just play and you work yeah. it out and it's a very short career otherwise <laughs> yeah they'll you know the, the, the coaches in the school or the teachers that help you here yeah. pick the ball up like try this you know yeah. try that you know or they'll tell you the rule you have to yeah. get your toe under the ball when you're playing to get your toe on the ball and flick see if you can get it up into your hand and what can yeah. you do there and kick it and yeah. you know try try kicking from a few if you see if you see, if you can see the goal go for a point see what happens yeah. stuff like that very simple stuff yeah and um always yeah so that was another big moment for me so yeah. that that got me questioning all the things and this led me on this absolutely wonderful um journey of research yeah i ended up being offered a phd i actually was offered a master's first and i said yeah i'll do that and then after sending in an application the guy said no you should be doing a phd so yeah and yeah it was great i did it through sheffield hallam um gotcha when did you get your that was in november last year yeah, yeah no yeah yeah october last year november yeah. october november last year yeah so that got the final so i worked because like i've three children so i worked full-time as well at AIK at the time, and then I had three children, and I was doing a PhD. So I did the PhD half-time. So I had six years to do it, but I got it done in four and a half. Yeah. What was the subject of the PhD? Um, I devised um, a way of researching sports organizations or clubs. And the, uh, the essential idea is that athlete development frameworks evolve, should evolve in interaction with the social cultural context there's no copy paste 
Okay. That you sh- you, we can't say, ah, sure, look at the Dutch, they're brilliant. Yeah. Because we, we spoke loads about the FAI, you know, in Ireland. Yeah. You know, ah, we're, we've got a Dutch model now. Why? No. Yeah. Why? Are we all Dutch now? Is that yeah, it? Yeah, like, I yeah. mean, Holland, you know, it's, it's got, it's completely different culture, country, everything. It's got the picturesque beauty. If it's a beauty of table. So <laughs> it's <laughs> flat. <laughs> Ireland's not. No, but like, it's a completely different culture. We have so many different sports. They have different, you know, it's, yeah. and, and this kind of thing. So I was investigating, um, that in within a Swedish context mm. and that was really really um, because Sweden and Ireland are very different countries as well that's completely, Norway, yeah, yeah. completely different I yeah. mean you know if, if, you, if you're growing up next to a mountain in the north of Norway or Sweden with lots of snow there's a fair chance you're going to be handy at ski <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how that works <laughs> yeah. but, but you're going to yeah. be handy enough but like uh, so yeah it's 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 just <coughs> So I, I developed this way of um, how you can do carry out research. And it's it was a four years I collected data. And uh, so it's quite a long term research. Yeah. And what you do is you need to di- go into the culture. So I did a lot of con- historical contextual analysis of Swedish football, Swedish sport, the politics for the last years, how society is evolving. 400,000 so volunteers, that, that school would, lunches. That would, that. Yeah, that would frame the mm-hmm. context for where I was carrying, then I then the club at AIK, what are the coaches doing? Why are they doing this? Mm. And then what you're doing is connecting how young people learn football, how coaches behave to the sociocultural context. Yeah. So that's really it. And that's why there's and no it's copy a f- paste. constant feedback loop. They yeah. all feed each other. And sometimes, you have to, that's why you sh- we can't copy and paste. Sometimes, you know, we have to turn the volume up in some things. Mm. Behaviours are, are turn the volume down. Mm on some things you know so as opposed you can't really take stuff away no (coughs) but we can turn the volume up and stuff to highlight things and turn the volume down now there's a lot of people in coaching and in sport in general who feel really threatened by the things that you say right because what you're saying is it's not about you the coach and how brilliant you are and how much you know in fact it's the opposite Right, yeah. y- you can do certain things, and you can actually do more harm than good by sort of you know taking kids or taking sport, which is essentially you know adults at play a lot of the time as we understand it, and interfering too much. You can actually sort of hamper their development. How mm. has this been sort of met you know in uh, in football in Sweden, where you've been very active for many years? I know you've been to Canada, you've discussed with the Australian mm. FA, you've been to Barcelona, Espanol, mm. as you mentioned. You know, and um, when you go in there, are you like John the Baptist, or are you like sort of Jesus turning over the tables? And the temple <laughs> I don't know I mean what what I found this is as close as, close as a corkman as ever going to get to modesty here it's like you know okay find a nice way the to thing is this. the thing is I there is the type of research I carried out it's hard for me to say this is my knowledge or my opinion because for me I'm not the expert I mean, I'm a, I, I always tried to say that I'm a recovered expert. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think I knew I used it all to think kind of I thing. did, but I'm a recovered expert. So I always felt the knowledge is out there in the environment. Mm. And there's good knowledge, there's helpful knowledge, and there's not so helpful knowledge. Yeah. And it's about digging where you stand and conversations with people, interviews, participant observations, being involved, connecting it to the social cultural context. And then you, you start interpreting this and somehow I guess creating this knowledge mm. of what's going on here yeah. and I think when people most feel threatened it's their world view is threatened yeah. they assume ah sure if we do this then we do that then we get this if we do X we, this country did X they got Y or this club did X they got Y yeah. and we should do the same or, yeah, you need to learn technique before you can play the game. Or you have to do the mitts like 10,000 hours of practice. Yeah. Which is, a, which is Malcolm Gladwell's total awful misinterpretation of Ericsson's work. In fact, Eric's, Ericsson wrote, I think it was in 2000, early, sometime in the 2000s, he wrote a letter to The Guardian why journalists shouldn't be allowed to report on science. <laughs> you know, basically in a protest to Gladwell's book. Yeah. But like, for some reason, in Sweden, this had a very strong, very quite profound a effect, yeah. thing in, in skill acquisition in Sweden. People went for the easy option. Yeah. It's like, Asher, this makes perfect. It makes sense. It must be good. Yeah. And, but it also fitted in with um, 
like there was this debate at the time about I think in Swedish they called it elite elite satsning early elite um, selection of yeah. players and it fitted in perfectly with that Asher to get the 10,000 hours you have to get the early stuff yeah, should the sooner the better early. like yeah and then you have this other neuro myth neuroscience myth uh, the Yilin the older in Swedish the um, the golden years golden years yeah that's just a complete myth that's just something made up nobody knows where that came from and so they all like so basically it created a mythology in Swedish around football, skill acquisition around skill acquisition so it's a group of myths that just sounded perfect it's all, this all makes perfect sense and you don't blame people for this and then of course with the me- mechanistic worldview which is dominant the uh, you know the sum of the parts yeah you know we, if you learn this bit then that bit then that bit and then we'll put it all together in the game it'll all be perfect yeah turn it into a process and that's yeah, it yeah yeah so that, that's not how it works because at all you know in any context human learning is quite non-linear anyway so mm. it's not this linear of A to B to C to D. So all these, it was almost like, I guess, a perfect storm. Yeah. And uh, it suited, um, I guess, the, yeah, just, and it probably suited a lot of people that were making careers out of it too. There is that as well, isn't there? Because people come up with a certain business idea or they come up with a certain yeah, process yeah. and they trademark it and that kind of thing. We're not going to mention any of them, but any you go to any soccer club or any basketball club now and there will be skills camps based on certain mm. certain ways or certain and, and some of them are really good. And and the thing is, I, I just want to point something. I've met coaches working probably in ways that I don't think are great for skill acquisition, but God, they're great with young people. They're mm. fantastic. They yeah. do a great job. Motivate them and, and keep them, you know, and yeah, make them motivate seen. Motivate them, help them. They're seen. They feel part of something. And then the kids probably will play a lot of football themselves as well. Yeah. Because so there's there's the other side of this as well. So what do we need to turn up there? We need to turn up the volume on and emphasize this person's skills with children, mm, and positive reinforcement, and keeping them yeah. in, and maybe turn down the traditional approaches and see if we can help. This this coach evolved. Yeah. So that's what the real what it really is about for mm. me. It's not about saying no, stop doing that because mm. you can't stop. You have to turn down the because if you stop a coach from doing something, it, you might stop the good stuff they're doing as well. Yeah, yeah. You might it's limit all them, part yeah. of each, yeah. each other. So yeah, I mean there has been some interesting. I remember I went to um, I was hired by um, I'm not going to say one of the uh, big governing bodies here for a conference. Yeah. And I've never been asked back since. <laughs> I started the conference and I put five things up on the board and I said, I want you to sit, they're all sitting at tables, a fancy hotel. And I want you to, uh, d- 10 minutes, discuss among yourselves these five things. Are they science or bullshit? Yeah. And... It was like wi- 10,000 hours Windows option. Personality tests, you know. The, uh, oh, great, yeah, Red, yeah. blue, orange, yeah. all that. And honestly, m- like most tables had four out of five as science, when all five Which were actually crap. in the bullshit character yeah. uh, c- uh, category. But these are the perfectly this, packaged things. This really things, like. caused like a lot of unease in the room. Yeah. But I'm going, hang on a minute. These are people from loads of national federations and sports Mm. and district federations and they're in high positions positions of influence as well very high positions and they thought all this was science and it was all nonsense it was all nonsense you know like so I I was like okay and it it was odd at first but yeah when you see these debates, because certain things are like red rags to bulls, right? We have it, and it's not just in Sweden or Norway or in England or Ireland, right? We see this thing now where uh, we don't want to keep scoring games. We don't want to have league tables or that kind of thing, right? Um, it's one of those simplistic arguments because yeah. you go, oh, well, in my day, you know, yeah. it's it's very much into that old man on the bar stool kind yeah. of a thing, right? You sure, we were beaten at school. It does no yeah, exactly. Harm, I was exactly. beaten for being left-handed. I turned out <laughs> some way normal, like you know. Mm. But when you look at that debate, right? Because they're very simplistic things. They create great emotions. There does mm. be great anger and great enthusiasm and that kind of thing, right? Well, you mentioned earlier on about you know the five things that you put on the board that were either science or bullshit, right? It's so hard, especially this sort of post-COVID age, to come with something that's science because people have no respect for science anymore, mm. do they? Um. <sighs> I, I can understand why, in some way, particularly in my area of skill acquisition, people have difficulty creating a relationship, because I did at the start. 
because it's it's a whole new language. It's lots of new words. Yeah. And you have to connect these things. And then you have to how and it's not just they're telling you the truth you have to analyze what's been said it's more critical thinking about what's been mm. said here ah, who has time for that exactly <laughs> look in tiktok it said this yeah, exactly <laughs> 14 seconds of truth so i i think again it's always the lowest hanging fruit you know the the there's i've seen it come back again now again ah well in classroom if you learn maths you have to do this and then do that so in football i was like don't be comparing learning in a classroom to learning a dynamic sport like football. Yeah. But this this is coming back again. We have this league discussion again. Yeah. You know, oh, children don't compete. Like every time a child walks onto a pitch with his friends and they play each other, could be they're competing. Yeah. They're competing. Yeah. They're you know, and I oh, but in England, look how successful they are. Look how oh they do this and they do that. Yeah, but like I've worked with some category one um, academies in the UK. Remember when the debate started up again here? I sent a text to two of them. Oh no, we don't have league tables until eighteen. We just play comp- loads of friendly matches all the way up. We have a cup competition of fifteen, yeah. and then we at eighteen we're involved in the league. So even at sixteen, seventeen, you no. know, coming up to eighteen, they don't bother. Well, with some of the sixteen, seventeen-year-olds might be playing with the under eighteens. Yeah, but they don't really have a league, a proper league table, and everything until eighteen. Is that because in it the just has no one cl- in the cat? These are the category one clubs that I spoke to. That's just because having a league table in itself has no value. It doesn't doesn't well, it, do it's anything. A, it's it's very it? much the adult version of competition, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you know, I mean, you know, maybe a warning sign is for if you look at a coach's Instagram and they have loads of trophies from the under ten championships. Maybe that's a bit of a warning sign, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah, kids want to win anyway. But we don't need to be pushing tables on on them and. You know this this ad, um, the ad adultification of children's sport. I call it. You know, yeah. sport is for children. Children are not for sport. Yeah, and we need to start understanding this really quickly. Yeah, but the fact is, we're back again. Like the ten thousand hours, the window, uh, the the golden, golden years, years of learning. Yeah. Uh, the um, le- winning league winning league tables. It maintains the position of the coach's centre of the learning process. It maintains me as the, the guy who can win the, have the best under 10s in Stockholm. Yeah. It maintains my position. These really important yeah, things Yeah, it's really like that. important. And then my private work. And it's the same in anything like, you know, I spoke now with a friend who's working in a really big company in Stockholm. They're, they're going to do, every few years they do the personality test thing. And it's complete and utter nonsense. These are these Myers-Briggs yeah, and Myers all this other Briggs shit. Like, yeah. and, but no, it's good because somebody has to make money out of it. And it's, I guess, the boss who's been bringing it in for a few years can't have it seen to be taking it away because <laughs> it's a myth because then he looks silly. Yeah. You know, but so just, what have you been doing all these years? So like people, a- I, I guess, just, it's all low-hanging fruit, the whole thing, you know. And mm. another example was... Um, I've been listening to this debate that's been going on. It's on podcasts in Sweden, the crisis in Swedish football. And it's, I'm looking at what crisis. The debate is the crisis. We're going on about 10,000 hours. They're going on about getting kids in mm. at seven to because it's the golden year of learning and they're talking about things like muscle memory, which I have no idea what that is. And, and, they're, and then they're saying things, oh, you know, coaches in the continent, they get paid more than our academy coaches there. That's nonsense because I know they don't. Yeah, I know it's more. It's quite similar in some clubs. They do, but I, again, I got back to two category one clubs and yeah. I compared it to what coaches were earning, earning where I used to work before. Pretty much the same. Yeah, so it's no so huge difference. No difference. So, yeah. but we love throwing these things out, but people don't. Yeah, dig. What's he said that? Dig a bit deeper. Yeah, what's going on? What's really happening here? What's and happening then, behind that? Yeah, you know, and like what's going on? What's happening? Why, why so? So yeah, it's. Um, I think I I, I don't know the it's 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 strange, and then then it really struck me when I went to, because another debate in in here, because we we speak about Sweden, because we have a similar one in in Ireland going on at the moment. Yeah. Uh, oh, we're how do we who come via cap? How do we catch up with yeah, say, yeah. Denmark and Norway? I have met more coaches, technical directors, and academy directors in Oslo in one week with ac- academic backgrounds than I have in Stockholm in 20 years. So people in, in Stockholm just don't have that I don't, background? Well, I don't know. I just keep hearing firstening or firstening. Research is research. Science is science and football is football. 
you know. Yeah. But over there, when I speak with them, they they, they want to discuss. And you like they don't have to agree with everything you say. You don't agree with everything. But the, but they have this grounding. Yeah. You know, fundamentally academic way of looking at the world. Yeah, but basically. they work actively yeah. as coaches. But um, you know, maybe we need to look at that as well. Mm. But. It's it's but so this is something and then of course we have the our own country uh, in Ireland we have um, well we know the dancing at the crossroads there for the last <laughs> thirty years yeah, now that the party is over and the music stopped <laughs> and and there's nowhere for anybody to sit you know? yeah but let me ask you about that yeah. right because there's a couple of things there one is it's common knowledge that the FAI is one of the worst run organisations in the Western world right we don't have to go into why right but Ireland and Sweden were and Scandinavia in general were sort of unique in the first weekend of the Premier League because I think there was only about thirteen foreign players most of whom mm. came from Ireland or from the Scandinavian countries yeah. right. Since then, we used to have players that played for the top clubs in England mm. who were playing for titles. Same thing with the Swedes and the Norwegians mm. and the Danes. And that has fallen off recently, right? Now, I know there's no such thing as copy-paste, but why do you think are Scandinavian and Irish players struggling to compete now that mm. the market is global and now the players can be brought in from anywhere? How do you reverse that so that you make those national teams better in the long run, do you think? I suppose the globalisation of the game increases the population. And the competition. Players and the yeah. competition. I would say that English academies might have started getting their act together. Yeah. In some so in some way they're positive, in some ways not, mm. I guess. But they're but then I think England is one of the lowest percentage of players in their own league in all of Europe. I think it's under thirty percent or something, is it? And are English born sure. players, yeah. Yeah, English born players are still quite low. Um but then, because it's such a globalised market, it's the richest league, it attracts. Mm. Um, if you look at Ireland around that time, so since the 90s in the Premier League, I think, and Sweden as well, you had this acceleration in, let's get the eight-year-olds mm. in with the best. The best eight-year-olds, the best coaches, or the best with yeah. the best. And in some way, we may have um, limited mm. opportunities for, for kids because we... If you want a system to work, just, you know, get some eggs, put them in a bag, select some eggs, put them back, throw the bag at the wall, take out the bag, the egg that doesn't break, show it to the world and say the system works. Mm. So these selection systems, early selection, they're often based on survivorship bias. Ah, look, here's a survivor. Mm. Look, it work. the system works. This but, kid born in January. All, yeah, yeah, it can be born in January, but it's all exclusion. Yeah. So the more you exclude from the system, your system's going to be right. It's yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think Sweden has been very guilty of that as well. And Ireland. Yeah. And it's funny. I think it goes against... like, But on the other side in Sweden, there's fantastic volunteers doing a lot of great inclusive work, mm. keeping trying to keep kids playing football. There's amazing work being done here. Mm. But it's really sad that... That, um, that again, getting back to it. And I think it would be the same in Ireland, probably. Mm. It's a lot of... 10,000 hours is big in Ireland too. Let's not. <laughs> yeah. So probably a lot, a group of myths, creating mm. a myth, uh, mythology that dro drove the narrative. Mm. And um, I think, yeah, I th and I think we've, in Ireland, maybe we have neglected a lot of what's made us special. We have mm. rugby, Gaelic football, Ireland. Mm. Phenomenal opportunities for children to have a great childhood meet different people, be a part of a community, represent their community in many sports. Be active. Be active. Mm. Have their family involved in different social settings with different phenomenal opportunities. Mm. But then we had the FAI going, ah, sure, we're going, we're, going, we're going to do what the Dutch did. They did great stuff, didn't they? Yeah. Must work. O open academies in every big club. And yeah, open academy. And, they, you know, it's really... Yeah, I, I uh, it's no, it used to drive me mad. Like, <laughs> it drove me mad when this is. I, uh, it was a disaster, and it's such a shame because I think in an era now, because I just published a paper about we have the standardisation of coach education happening now mm -hmm. across Europe through UEFA. Yeah, when I hear that, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> we don't like that. Why, no, because like. <laughs> how can you standardize stuff across when there's different contexts different cultures different yeah, ways yeah. we have different ways of moving different way, different ideas of playing the game but it's so it's becoming more homo I've seen that coach education is becoming more homogenized and globalized yeah that now we're going to this one way of coach education which I which I termed 
um, methodological imperialism. Oh, very nice. So we're he- we're heading towards that, and I think the great opportunity for Ireland and Sweden yeah. is to go back to what's special in Ireland: the hurling, the Gaelic, and everything. Mm. Don't force kids to um, multi-sport, mm. but don't deny them it either. Yeah. So if a kid plays basketball Make, or rugby give the, or, or basketball, not a, yeah. not a big scoring sport. Give the opportunities. Yeah. Make it affordable. Make coach education free. Now, in fairness to Sweden, if you work in a club here, you get pretty much free coach education. Yeah. But then we have to talk about the coach educators. Let's educate them. Let's raise the level of them. They're the people that you want to see as academics, as people who have a background I think, in I that. I think thing. that if you're a coach educator, educating uh, volunteer coaches, you should have some sort of, an, maybe should have some sort of an academic background in some way. Yeah. You know, you should have, you should have, or at least there should be a good uh, governing body should have a good coach educator course yeah. to do. We've loads of coach education courses, but no coach educator courses. Yeah. So <clears> learning <throat> how to teach people to coach yeah, is it learning a big thing. to help and learning the different forms of knowledge. You know, mm. um, that that knowledge of you gain. You know how how we learn in classrooms not the same as. Uh, learning mm. in a sport knowledge about the game meaning that outside the game secondhand knowledge tactics mm. ideas uh, how we play game models is not the same as knowledge of in the game that the players experience yeah. that's two different things mm. you know well, just because you played the game doesn't mean you're going to be a great manager was, was there are two different forms of knowledge yeah so, so <laughs> there's often this thing of hot housing or streamlining or making it easier for ex-players to get involved Is that that's not guaranteed to be a good thing though is it like I mean, you're obviously going to get people no, who are going to be very no good at it, but just because you played, you know, just we be- know this in the research. There's no guarantees. We know that uh, there was research carried out in the, the the top seven academies in the world there two years ago, mm. and that the turnover rate is thirty percent each year wow. of players in and out. Yeah. So somebody's guessing incorrectly there. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So we know this, but uh, but then there's the other side. I know some academies that do these early selections and all this, and there's some wonderful people working there, really talented coaches. Yeah, yeah. But what are we missing? What are we excluding from the system? Well, it, at the moment, it feels like we're throwing a novel out of the wall and seeing what sticks kind of thing, rather yeah. than being a bit more precise about it. Yeah, and a lot of it is atheoretical in the sense that there's no theory of human learning underpinning any of this, a lot of what they're doing. Mm. Nobody, nobody sits down and goes, okay, this is how this works, so therefore we yeah, have to do so this. Yeah, how can we yeah. work with this? And then oh, you end up like, I, I had a good discussion at the university when we're discussing about the research we're doing in sport, and I was wondering, are we spending too much time looking at the symptoms and not the problem? Mm. Burnout, that's a symptom. Uh, dropout, that's a symptom. Mm. You know, stuff, things like that. You know, re- uh, reduced participation, that's a symptom. Mm. We're not looking at, are we, where's the problem? And where's the problem in our context? Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's so not necessarily the same reasons. Sw- over uh, Sweden's had a great opportunity. It's got a phenomenal um, uh, Ferienings leave it. You know, the club yeah. opportunities, volunteer organisations, volunteer organisations. Yeah. Loads of kids can play, but they need support as well. We need to help them. Yeah, and uh, I think there's fantastic opportunities to be done, but just copying and pasting from another country is just not going mm. to work. It's going to be. A, it it is it has been a disaster. I've got I, I've I've evidence to prove <laughs> really where worked. it's completely been a mess. And I, I've published this actually it's out today. I'll send you can add the link to the show notes. We will indeed. We're breaking news here on the Global Gale podcast. <laughs> yeah. Mark, let me on that very subject, right? I know there's no copy paste, but what does a good training session for football, Gaelic football, rugby, what does that look like for you? What are the principles that would guide that for you? Okay, so um, it's I, I, every, my second year students when they started every year they had to write a kind of an essay at the start of their thoughts on football how they would have a if they had a game model would be like what is the game how would they like it to be played and mm. so in general we got it we got a kind of a, a consensus among everyone mm. an agreement that foot what is football was the opening question then so mm. we have to ask what is football and we're, we're coaching football we're talking here so Football is complex, mm. it's dynamic and unpredictable. Mm. This underpins your philosophy and you need to show this in your methodology on the pitch. Because if you're saying it's complex, dynamic and unpredictable, 
and you're going out telling kids, hey, you pass to him, then you pass to this guy, then back to this kid and this sort of kid. Mm. And you just have these passing patterns where you win loads of games at eight or nine because you have them like Pavilonian dogs programmed, mm. you know, their behaviors programmed. Then you're not, you know, you, that's, you're not reflecting the complexity, uh, the complexity in your methodology. Yeah. yeah. And because part of this complexity is failing yeah. and working things out and developing as your body develops how do i interact with the world here how do i interact do you with know this what the amount of times i've seen teams of good young mostly young fellas right young boys playing football and then all of a sudden they go to a tournament and they play against a team that's better than them mm. and often what you hear them saying is i don't know what's happening because mm. they either they meet a team that's bigger or stronger or that moves or the figured out what they're doing exactly yeah and, and then they go well i've no idea what's going on here because mm. They're sort of limited to playing in this one way of okay, so the goalkeeper rolls the ball out to the fullback and the fullback tries to pass yeah, it up yeah. to the winger and the winger tries to cut whatever. You know, but that seems to be like, you know, it, it, without training them for that unpredictability or telling them that unpredictability. Yeah, you, you have is to there. prepare them for that. Yeah. You know? And that's really I think that they're the principles that underpin your training. Hmm. You you know include all those elements in it basically. Try and include and and you can constrain the complexity. It doesn't have to be everything. You don't just play a game. Yeah. Um, Throw in the ball and let them work away. So you like, can, yeah. like if you're going to work on maybe some sort of dribbling, there should be one v one. But you're working on defending as well. Yeah. So you, and but then you can have different starting positions. The defender coming from the side or from behind, or yeah. defender coming face on or from an angle, or a defender chasing you, catching up with you. Yeah. So there you have the complexity of the game, various elements that happen. Mm but you're getting repetitions without repetition as mm. opposed to repetition with repetition, yeah. which would be dribbling in other goals. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> so, no so resistance. Repetition moment. without repetition. There's mm. variability. So there you are still, you're, you're narrowing it down, the complexity down a bit. You're still keeping essential information there. Mm. So that would, that would be a simple example. Mm. Like uh, the one now in our class that we had was, <coughs> a lot of them were doing, when I first, like they were doing 2v1s and I asked, how long does a 2v1 last in a game? They said, uh, two seconds maybe, two seconds. <laughs> yeah, this is, how long were they lasting in your sessions? 10, 15, 20? Not representative. So how do we do it? Oh, a recovering defender. Exactly. Yeah. So simple things like that. So add which, another player which back in. Which then means the defender has to go, okay, I don't have to win the ball. Can I delay? Yeah. Can I cause trouble? Can I Can cause I trouble here? Delay. Yeah. yeah. So, so there you go. And as representative information, you're reducing the complexity. You're, you're, you're not, or you're simplifying the complexity. I think reducing is the wrong word. Simplifying the complexity, but the essential information is still there. Hmm. So that's how I think it is. Like, can the game is complex? It's dynamic, unpredictable. Can you? Your methodology should reflect this hmm. at different scales of analysis. Hmm. If somebody wants to become an associate professor of football, somebody just wants to become a better coach, Mark, how should they go about doing it? You mentioned academia there and that that being a well, good underpinning for it. I went, I, I, I went, I did my UFA up to UFA as well. And so I did both. I did the coach education, did the academia, and I worked a lot on the pitch. Yeah. So I delved into everything. And, and I find it really helpful because... In academic environments, having skin in the game, if you want to go as a coach, mm. is really, really helpful. Yeah. And then actually it's a great in, in coaching like things, then having an, a, a bit of academia is helpful as well. But it's, So they both help and support each other. Mm. Um, and there's even a lot of really nice, there's good books there, and there's a lot of people out there that are very, very approachable. And uh, But I do still think that academia needs to... Um, meet people more halfway. Yeah, not be this ivory tower of no, learning. Yeah, and of everybody course. Looking I, there is there is ivory towers everywhere. Yeah. It's like it's yeah, but uh, then it needs to meet people more halfway. But as do coaches, you yeah. need to stop saying ah, research is research and football is football. Yeah, it's not. All, all of these things are, are <laughs> part of, these, of the same. Yeah, exactly. So we need to meet each other more halfway. We need to start. Uh, yeah we need to this really, and it, it is happening in a lot of ways I, I know a lot of young Swedish coaches now mm. who are got academic starting to get academic backgrounds taking interest because they see their counterparts around Europe yeah this is the way it's they're, going this is what they're doing when mm. I was in Spain um, we did some research at Barcelona and I did some work with Espanol all of them had some teaching or pedagogical degrees mm. that was given yeah that was just part of 
why shouldn't I? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the road of knowledge is power, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so that yeah, that's that's what I think. Just be curious. Yeah. Be curious. I'll tell you, I've never met anybody more curious than you, Mark O'Sullivan. Thanks very much for coming down and talking <laughs> to me. Thank you very much, Phil. There you go. That was indeed the extremely curious Mark O'Sullivan from County Cork. If you want to get in touch with Mark, uh, drop me a message on Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. Leave something in the comments there uh, and I will hit you up with his contact details. A fascinating man altogether. And as we mentioned there, you know, he's worked with all sorts of sporting organisations all over the world. And only last night, actually, so we recorded the interview and I do be chatting to Mark every day on WhatsApp and that kind of thing. And I was talking to him on the phone yesterday and uh, there's people in Swedish football who've, you know, heard something that he said recently and they're getting in touch with him, you know, and this would be, you know, at the very top level of Swedish football. So he is a man that is changing the sporting world out there. And of course, as I'm recording this, we're still looking for coaches for, uh, well, we have we have a coach for the women's team. The great Eileen Gleeson has taken over the women's team, but the men's coaching job is still up for grabs. Uh, will likely go to Lee Carsley, but it's it's a fascinating thing altogether. And it's one of those things that fuels so many conversations in Irish pubs around the world about sport and about, in particular, football. That is it for this week. We've an absolute, if you're talking that was good lads if you had the crack with Mark O'Sullivan there wait till you see what's coming next week now I'm not going to give a hostage to fortune right if you listen to the lads on the second captains often they'll never say that they have an interview until the interview is actually done right you learn that very early in podcasting and journalism that until you have it don't talk about it because you're just going to pox the thing altogether and you'll never get the thing done at all. But that interview is booked for early next week and I can't wait because I've been talking to the person about it and there's some great stories to be told there. So I hope you'll be tuning in uh, next week when we are back with another episode of the Global Gale podcast. Until then, my friends, look after yourselves, look after one another and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Good luck.